Come, let's go ahead and stand our feet this morning as we worship the Lord.
that this morning. Give the Lord some praise. He's worthy. Amen. We serve an awesome God. How many believe that this morning? We do. Amen. Well, as we continue to worship the Lord this morning, we're going to sing this next song that just describes our closeness to God and Him being at the center of our life. How many just say, Lord, I want you to be at the center of all I do. Amen. So as we continue to worship, let's let our heart and focus be upward and on Him. Amen. Yeah. 
your name, Lord. You're worthy, Jesus.
heart and every voice. Oh, I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is take communion so this time if you want to go ahead and have a seat the ushers are going to serve you and i want you to hang on to that uh, so we can all take it together as we continue to sing and just celebrate what jesus did for us amen
So what does that song mean? If you're new to Christianity, if you don't know the Bible, you might be thinking, what in the world are we singing about? I'll give you an example. If you were to buy a home, more than likely you couldn't pay cash for it. More than likely you'd have to take a mortgage. Well, how many know there's something very specific that that mortgage company wants every month? <laughs> they want money. Our currency is the medium of exchange. If you give them whatever it is, $1,000, $2,000 a month, $500 a month, then they let you stay in the house. And there's only one thing they want. They don't, they don't want to, you know, if you go to Albertsons, they'll give you Monopoly chips. They don't want those. They don't want, they don't want a, a nice letter from you each month telling you how much you love the church or you love the house. There's only one thing they want, and that's money. Well, how many know there's only one thing that satisfies the penalty of our sin? It's the blood of Christ. See, the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. That's why Christ sacrificed his life. He paid a price that I couldn't afford to pay. See, one day we'll stand before God on Judgment Day, and on Judgment Day we'll have to give an account for our sins. And we either pay for them ourselves, or Christ will take our place. And that's what we celebrate today. Jesus died in my place. He paid the penalty for my sins so I wouldn't have to. I think that deserves a praise of the Lord. How about you? Let me read a little scripture as we prepare for communion. I asked the Lord yesterday what he might have me share, and I, I felt drawn to this. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says, We're surrounded, surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And that's talking about all the people, all the believers that have died before us. It says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. I felt the Holy Spirit wanted me to remind you of this. Is that our world is a dark place. Our world is in great need. And he needs us to be his representatives. He needs us to finish the race. He needs us to be able to be used on a daily, moment, a daily notice, on a moment's notice. He needs us to invest our lives in his eternal kingdom. And here's the deal. Be careful that we don't get entangled with sins, as the scripture talked about, or weights. Sin is very clear what sin is. I mean, no sin can cause you to end up in a ditch. But weights are simply the distraction of the season. As the season changes from winter to spring, there's all sorts of opportunities, and they're wonderful to be enjoyed. But if you're not careful, it can just become your life as opposed to being a part of your life. Might we resolve in this communion time this morning to consecrate our lives afresh to Christ, that I want to live for Him and serve Him all the days of my life, huh? Somebody say praise the Lord. The words of Paul the Apostle, Paul said that, he received from the Lord which he delivered to us that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke that bread and he said take and eat this is my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me today we remember what Christ said what he taught we remember the example of his life we remember what he did for us in giving his life for us so we wouldn't have to Lord, I want to pray today that you would just reveal your love for us in a deeper measure. Could you just pray that right now for yourself? Say, Lord, would you reveal yourself to me in a deeper way in my heart, the depth of my being. Let the love of God capture me. Welcome, Lord. I want you to just say, Lord, I welcome you today. I don't want to be shallow. I want to be deep. I don't want to be immature. I want to be mature as a Christian. I want you to be first. 
reveal yourself to us. I ask you to bless this bread. I pray that if there's any sick in our midst, Lord, bodies or soul, that we'd be healed in Jesus' name. God bless this bread. In the same manner, Jesus also took the cup after supper. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, the Bible says you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Well, this cup reminds us of the blood that Christ shed for us. And it reminds us that we need forgiveness. So, Lord, today we want to bow our heads before you and humbly ask you to forgive us. All the things we've done wrong. Some of them I'm very aware of and some of them I'm not. I ask you to forgive me, to wash me, to cleanse me, Lord, and make me brand new. Today, Lord, I also choose to forgive other people that have sinned against me. I don't want my heart, Lord, to be bound up with unforgiveness. Because, Lord, as you've forgiven me is the same way I'm supposed to forgive others. So welcome today, Lord. We lift our cup to heaven and consecrate ourselves afresh to you. We want Christ to be not only Savior, but Lord. And together we say, until he comes. In Jesus' name, let's drink together. Hallelujah. Hey, let's stand to your feet and sing one more song.
Welcome to Church on the Rock. We're so happy you're here worshiping with us today. In the chair back in front of you, we have a lot of information about our church. Our inside look lets you know everything about who we are and what we believe in. Our ministry guide gives you plenty of ways to get connected through classes, small groups, and outreach opportunities. If you are a first-time guest, please fill out the white card in the seat back in front of you, drop it in the offering, or you can take it across the hall to the Connect Room where you will receive a free gift bag. Don't forget about our coffee bar and snacks between Sunday services in the Connect Cafe. We're so glad you're here and we hope you know that there's always a place for you at Church on the Rock. The journey of life can be difficult and confusing. Here at Church on the Rock, we want to help make your journey clear by connecting you to God, friends, ministry, and the world. We offer four classes on Wednesday nights to help you grow and stay on course in your walk with God. Our Connect class is for anyone new to the church or anyone wanting to get more involved. It's a four-week class to help you learn about the church, get connected to God, and learn about your spiritual gifts. The Spirit-Filled Life four-week class will teach you how real friendship with the Holy Spirit can change your life. The four-week freedom class is designed to help you resolve conflict, break bondages, and renew your mind. The Becoming a Person of Influence class will teach you principles of leadership that you can apply in ministry, business, and your home. Between our Connect, Spirit-Filled Life, Freedom, and Becoming a Person of Influence classes, there is a Wednesday night class for everyone. Amen. Jesus is better, right? Hey, good to see everybody here this morning. We are so glad that you're here. It's good to worship together as a family, right? 
Amen. Hey, real quick, on your way out today, we have our mission-minded group that is in the foyer. They're selling casseroles to go, and they're selling mini cheesecakes and all sorts of stuff. So we want to bless them. Amen? So get some food, and if you're maybe on a diet, you're like, I don't want a cheesecake, they'll take your money, right, without you taking anything. So bless them, and uh, we're going to send them to the mission field. Amen? Yeah, great. And we... I want to welcome our mission team back. They're back from Thailand. A group's back from India. And we've got a group that's going to dig a water well in Mexico. Jason, tell us real quickly, how many are going, where are you going, what you're doing? Uh, we've got a team. There's going to be six of us, uh, and we're headed down, and we're going to uh, drill three wells is the plan. And the fourth day, we're going to service and repair, do couple, just basic repairs to existing wells. Where are we going? Uh, we're going to go down and land at Acapulco, and then there's mountain range there and when you drive through the mountain range it just turns into desert on the other side and it's about an hour a little better an hour and a half inland from from that in that area great so these are it's a christian work they're associated with with christian ministries with larry myers mexico ministries down there these are people that don't have fresh water to drink so your money, your, your giving is enabling us to do it. We sent $3,500 down from our outreach fund to drill those wells. And if you get a chance to drill some more, we'll send you some more money. We'll do it. Lord, we ask you to bless these men as they go. We pray that, Lord Jesus, you would give them favor wherever they're to drill a well. Let them know the right place, not to waste time, nothing break down, and to be able to excel in everything that's done there. And God bless our union with the Hispanic people. And we ask you to keep them safe and bring them home in Jesus' name. Amen. Give him a big hand. We're proud of you guys. It's Jason Vanderhoof, and if you ever want to do another trip, we do these all the time. Hey, I'm going to encourage you today, uh, again, as I had last week, uh, a special word to those from Texarkana, Arkansas. How many Arkansans here? Let me see your hand here. Wave your hand at me. Good. Uh, look, I need you to help me with something. As I shared with you the last few weeks, the city of Arkansas, almost in the middle of the night, the Texarkana, Arkansas City Council passed what's called a non-discrimination ordinance a few weeks ago. On the surface, sounds great. We believe that everybody should be protected. I mean, we all have equal rights under the law anyway. But we believe everyone should be protected and everyone has value and worth. But two things that concern me. They added to this non-discrimination ordinance, they added sexual orientation and gender identity. And gender identity simply means that though I may be a biological man, if I feel like I'm a woman then you have to treat me like I'm a woman. And I I see this as a problem for for several reasons. Number one, because if you're a business person in Texarkana, uh, Arkansas, you do business, well, anywhere, if you do business with a city, you have to sign the same language, but also a phrase called public accommodation, and that's what's called the bathroom ordinance about, you know, uh, the man in the woman's restroom. And you may think that this is not a big deal, but it is a big deal. Focus on the Family has compiled a number of cases across America Uh, about this, one relating to business people in Kentucky. Uh, It was a t-shirt printing company. They're found guilty of discriminating against a group because they declined to print apparel for a gay pride event. Didn't matter that they'd found another company at the same price, and now whatever the fine may be, and they also have to attend diversity training. Now, here's one that concerns me in terms of public accommodation. Uh, It's entitled, High School Girls Swim Team Exposed to Naked Man in Woman's Sauna. Olympia High School was using the pool and other facilities at the nearby Evergreen State College. The mother of one girl complained after her daughter walked into, uh, walked, saw a naked man in the sauna. Girls as young as six years old from a local swim club shared these facilities. 
The female swim coach asked the man to leave but later apologized after discovering he was transgendered. The college says their non-discrimination policy prevents them from stopping the transgender man from using the women's facilities. You say, well, that's somewhere else. I know, but that's the way it starts. Let me affirm, number one, our church's love and respect for all people. Regardless of your sexual orientation, you're welcome at this church. I will love you, but I will also tell you the truth, and I can do both. Um, this, this has become a contention of religious freedom because to discriminate against what classes of people that they're trying to create will cause problems. And how do you not discriminate against people on, on a religious basis? So it's a problem, but you can do something about this. If you're from Arkansas, you can sign the petition after church in the lobby, which will have the effect of bringing it to the city council and, ask, and, and demanding, according to the Arkansas Constitution, that the people would be able to vote. Now, we can talk more about this at a later date, but at least it puts it in the right in the hands of the people to be able to vote because we still do have representative government in America, and we are we the people. So I hope you'll do that. Hey, whether you're from Arkansas or Texas, we've got something else here. Uh, yeah, our own newspaper is kind of curious. Of course, they're selling papers, but they ran an article the other day, and they said, hey, we'd like to hear what you think about this subject. And uh, they're going to print answers next Friday. So if you'd like, this is a very, we've given you not only what the newspaper said, but a lot of background information and a copy of the ordinance itself. So if you're a good writer and if you'd like to express your opinion, get it into the Gazette in the next couple days and they'll publish it Friday. That's Arkansas or Texas. And all this is in the lobby. God bless you and thank you so much. Amen. Hey, it's offering time. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 16, verse 15. This is an amazing scripture in the Bible that Jesus told his disciples, and let's read it. It says this, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Say, preach the gospel. This was a message that Jesus gave to his followers. And how many people know there were followers back then, but there's followers today, and that's us. And there's a few statistics that I want to read. This is from the Joshua Project. It says this, there are 7.3 billion people in the world. 2.3 billion are Christian. 748 million or evangelical Christians are people that kind of believe like us. In 100 AD, there were 360 people for every believer, but now there's 7.3 people for every believer right now. How many people know that that's progress? Since Jesus walked the earth and since he poured his life into 12 people, a few thousand years from then, we have this gospel that's basically went to the ends of the earth. Millions upon millions, billions of people have been transformed by the gospel of Christ. It's the only thing that can really transform us. There's another stat that says this. In 100 AD, there were 12 unreached people groups for every congregation of believers. But now there's one unreached people group for every thousand congregations. Listen, what that's saying is, again, the Bible and the gospel of Christ is going forth. And listen, that verse that Jesus said, Mark 16, 15, to all of us, go into the world and preach the gospel. How many people know every single one of us, no matter your job or your profession, we're called to spread the gospel. We're called to tell people about Jesus. And really, how do we do that? How do we make disciples? Well, I believe there's, there's two big ways. Number one, we reach out and literally tell people about the gospel, what Jesus did in our life, how Jesus died to restore us to God. Amen? But the second way is we give. Listen, when we give our tithes and our offerings every single week, that money just doesn't go to a fund that just sits there and does nothing. That goes to transform lives and spread the gospel all over the world. You just heard Jason, who's about to go take a team to Mexico. Last week, we had three different mission teams that were abroad sharing the gospel of Christ. Listen, I want to challenge you. We need to go out and we need to literally tell people about the gospel. Amen. 
Number two, we need to give to send people out who are going to spread the gospel throughout the earth, places we never may, may go to. So look, we love you. Let's spread the gospel this week. Amen? God bless you as you give. And I heard a thousand stories of the one The tender whisper to love in the dead of night, and you tell me that you're pleased and that I'm never alone. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. Cause you're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. Yeah, hallelujah. Come on, give him a big hand this morning. Jesus is our God and King. Good, good father. Hey, tell your neighbor you're really glad they're here, and we're going to kick it off with a video this morning. Two illnesses that have reached epidemic proportion today are pridefulitis and opinionatia, and many have lost hope. Symptoms include hearing loss, anger, the urge to debate, and delusions of not needing directions. I see pridefulitis every day in my practice. It destroys friendships, marriages, and careers. Sufferers can find it impossible to hear any advice or helpful input. But now there's hope. Introducing Humilify. After just a few days on Humilify, I was actually able to hear my spouse again. Humilify saved my marriage. I suffered from full-blown, nag-resistant pridefulitis. Humilify completely cured my hearing and my vision. Humilify gave me hope. Humilify has also been shown to be effective against other diseases, like I'm the victimitis, get off my caseus, and I know best. Exercise caution. Side effects include sincere apologies, attentive listening, and the realization that other people are intelligent. Make the decision that will change your life. Try Humilify today. Humilify. Isn't it time you swallowed your pride? I guess you think a drug can solve any problem. We'll be selling Humilify by the case after service today. So take a guess what we're talking about today. Yeah, humility or pride. Remember each week in this series, Inside Look, or Inside Look, What's Inside? We've been talking about character. We've been talking about our values. And this morning, we're going to talk about uh, pride or humility. And the question I'll ask is this, and I want you to say it with me. Be on the center screen. Am I arrogant and independent, or am I humble and dependent on God? Let's explore it together. Jeremiah chapter 9. Jeremiah chapter 9, thus says the Lord, 
And notice the three classes of people. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. And let not the rich man boast in his riches. Well, what else would they boast in? If you're smart, it's the degrees on the wall. It's the, number, the letters behind your name. If you have money, uh, you would typically boast in what you're able to buy, what you're able to do with that, what you have, the status symbols that you can wear. Uh, it's a contrast between what I have and what others have. Uh, if it's power or if it's might, uh, I'm in a political office, I'm in a position in my company that gives me authority over other people. And the question is, should I boast in these things? And the obvious answer is no. Notice what Scripture says, if people want to boast or brag, let them brag that they understand and know me, the Lord. What God is saying in this passage is, I'm the source of all this in your life. Uh, Let them brag that I'm the Lord and I'm kind and fair and I do things that are right on the earth. So now in this passage, all of us, this is ambition. We aspire to be, to be smart. We aspire to be wealthy. We uh, aspire to be uh, influential. But here's the question of the morning. Where does this come from? Where does my wisdom come from? Where does my power come from? Where does my wealth come from? Is it just generated from me? Or is it a good God, come on, that gave me the ability to study so I could go to school, so I could learn and become a professional in whatever area that I'm in? Is it, a good, is it me that just made all the sales happen? Or is it a good God that led me to customers, come on, and I could have a product to be able to meet their needs? See, this idea of pride and humility, humility is not a, 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 a lower sense of self-esteem. But humility, by definition, is simply this, is to see ourselves as we really are, in desperate need of God and unable to do anything without Him. Humility means that I'm living in dependence on God and that I show honor and respect for other people, that I, that I, 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 I imitate Jesus and I serve people that may be lesser than in my, li- in, in my life or sphere of influence. Pride, on the flip side, is an inflated view of ourself. It is to feel superior because of our ability, because of our looks. Looks are big in America today. And if I look good and you don't, then I'm better than you. If I have more money than you do, if my position is greater than you, if I have more stripes on my arm, we have all sorts of status symbols in America that make us feel like we are better than other people. Prideful people look down on others. And they act as if they don't need anyone, even including God. Now, how many know pride is real easy to recognize in another person? But but it's hard to recognize in me. If I had it, I would tell you, but I'm making a joke, okay? You that are quick to judge the preacher, I'm making a joke. We can see it easily in other people, but pride is hard to see in our own lives. I want to help you a bit with that today. I'm going to talk about an Old Testament passage. We're going to go book, back to the book of Daniel, and we're going to look at a man who, who, who embodied pride. His name was Nebuchadnezzar. He was a king. We'll see how God, unbeknownst to him, it was God that brought him here. His pride brought him here, but when he humbled himself, God lifted him back up. We'll look at religious pride this morning, and then lastly, I'll talk about how to actually be a humble Christian, how to be a humble person because it's within our grasp. Let's first talk about pride, how it blinds us and deceives us. Daniel chapter 4, 
It is the season of Israel's history. They have been taken into captivity. Uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, are a part of the story. Uh, actually, my Easter series I'm going to start out with is called Heroes. Jesus will be our, our hero on Easter. But then I think I'm going to go to those three guys, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, who all had courage to stand up. There's someone to model ourselves after. They were a hero in their day in a very dark world. But this morning we're looking at a guy named Nebuchadnezzar. He was a guy that was on the top of everything in his world. He was a monarch. He was, without question, the sole authority. His empire spread far and wide. It was not just a localized rule. But uh, notice 429, King Nebuchadnezzar is walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. Babylon is the city he lived in, or it was where his, his primary residence was. Um, this was in the region of Iran, modern-day Iran. You know, in the Bible, this Tower of Babel. That's the same place, Nimrod in Genesis. This is where all this happened. Well, Nebuchadnezzar is now ruling there. And the king uh, answered and said, Is this not the great Babylon, I want you to say this with me, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence for me and for the glory of my majesty. Now we're going to come back to these words, but they're indicative of pride. While the words were still in his mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. It's as if... The scene, what we see, opened up and the unseen world revealed itself. And God himself or an, or an emissary spoke on God's behalf and said, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you is, it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you just like that. In other words, everything you have, all that you've accumulated, just like that, it's over because you didn't acknowledge me. Uh, you're going to be driven from among men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You'll eat grass like an ox. So what does that mean? He went crazy. Today he'd be locked up in a mental institution. Today he would be given drugs. This lasted for what Scripture calls seven periods of time. If we might imagine seven months. The Bible says during this period of his craziness, he, his hair, if you can imagine seven months, not keeping your hair, letting it grow, how scraggly it would be, sleeping outdoors. It said his nails were like eagle's claws, his fingernails. He didn't wash. He didn't bathe. He didn't have, you know, uh, an outhouse in the wilderness. This was, a, this was a dirty, stinky man. And it was all the result of God humbling him because of his pride. But notice God's dis this discipline was not permanent. But the Scripture says you're going to eat ox, a grass like an ox until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom He will. In other words, your pride brought you down and you're going to stay down until you recognize, come on, who God is relative to who you are. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, powerful, wealthy, probably smart. The ancient authors of the day spoke of his achievements as if they were the creation of a, of a god, of a superhuman figure. He built the Hanging Gardens, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. So this was a man that had power, he had influence, but the problem is, is he didn't recognize a good God that was behind it all, and he took credit for himself. He believed the lie, and it sent him into a ditch. How I many know it's easy to become proud when we're successful? If you have money and health, you don't need God. Now you do, but you can live as if you don't as long as the card swipes. 
As long as you can get up in the bed in the morning, as long as you can get in your car, as long as you can get on an airplane, as long as you can wield your power, you don't need God. But all of a sudden, God can pull the rug out from under our feet, and that's what happened to this man. I'm going to give you a few lessons about pride. Verse 30, he says, Is not this the great Babylon? We already read it. This city that I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty. So a couple lessons on pride. First of all, the language of pride is I and me. If you hear people that are talking about themselves all the time, uh, it's all about me. It's because of me. It is even for me. We call it in our culture today narcissism. An excessive interest in ourselves, our appearance, our extremely selfish a grandiose view of our talents and our, our craving for admiration, almost the desire for worship from people. Uh, there's some examples of modern-day pride, a couple pictures here. If you happen to see, have seen the movie Wall Street, uh, this mega, mega rich, hundreds of millions of dollars, deals left and right, making money in the top of the world in New York. Gordon Gecko, who was known as saying, greed is good, before his fall, I wish he'd have read Proverbs 16 because he ended up in jail. First pride, then the crash. And the bigger the ego, the harder the fall. How about this next guy? Help me again. Kanye, excuse me. I've mispronounced his name. He's a hip harp, a hip harp, a hip hop artist. When I get home, I'm not ready to hip-hop. I, 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 gotta, I guess I'm old. I want to listen to elevator music because it just kind of helps me relax. But anyway, can you imagine anybody saying this? The greatest pain in my life is that I'll never be able to see myself perform live. In other words, I wish I could be in the audience and watch me. I'm a god. I, any problem there? He's listened to the deceiver. He's listened to the lies that I'm more... Who gave him his voice? Who gave him his looks? Who put oxygen in the air that he breathes? Who causes his heart to beat? Come on. Who, 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 who allows the, his brain to function in such a fashion so that he can, he can convey a consistent thought? Who gave him rhythm? Come on. It was God. You might say a prayer for him. God bless him. How about the Titanic? A crew member told a passenger, God himself could not sink this ship. And I, an ice cube, come on now, <laughs> floating around the ocean was all that it took. It's the arrogance of man. We see it everywhere. It's pride. Here's another thing. Pride takes all the credit for what I do and what I have. Interesting. Remember when Nebuchadnezzar said, the city I have built, a New Testament passage in 1 Corinthians 4 asked the question, What did you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as if you didn't? Let me illustrate that. A, a teenager with a car. Now, I'm talking about a really nice car. I'm talking about you drive in the parking lot, and this thing is new. It's shining. Mom and Dad either had a lot of money or spent a lot of money. And uh, this guy sits on his truck. I mean, it's all jacked up. It looks good. It's got chrome everywhere. And he is the man, and he didn't even pay for the gas in it. <laughs> but he's acting like it's his car, and he's going to his house. Come on. And he's going to his room. And every bit of it comes from Mom and Dad. 
But we, and how many know adults do the same thing? Preachers can do the same thing. You, the person wearing your shoes can do the exact same thing, taking credit for everything we're able to do. Come on, when everything we are and everything we have comes from the goodness of our God. Here's another one. Well, uh, pride is overly concerned about status symbols. Now, this is a religious guy. Jesus said in Luke 20, watch out for religion scholars or scribes. Listen to this. They love to walk around in their academic gowns. They preen in the radiance of public flattery. This is the compliments of people. They bask in prominent positions. And they sit at the head of the table at every church function. I mean, even religious people can be proud. We'll talk about that. But how I many know our, our, our nation is filled with status symbols? It could be the kind of watch we wear. It could be, it could be the, the label on our, on, our, on our sports coat. It could be the kind of car we drive. It could be whatever, the, the, the numbers or the letters, rather, that are behind our names symbolizing our, our education. How many know our world is filled with status symbols, and pride makes me believe that if I have more of those than you do, then I'm better than you are. Pride acts as if I'm better because of my position, my, my skin color, my wealth, my education. All this is rooted in the same thing that caused Lucifer to, Lucifer to fall. He was one of the archangels in heaven, and he said, I'm going to be like the Most High God. I want the worship that God receives. Let's keep reading Daniel chapter 4. Let's pick up uh, about uh, what happens. Daniel 4, after Nebuchadnezzar has been eating grass. So mind you now, this guy looks pretty bad after seven months or so. He said, at the end of the days, in other words, at the end of this time when I'd reached the bottom, what does it say? I, no, I, 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 see, when I do this, I want you to talk back to me. And, and if you talk quicker and, and more, then I'll preach shorter. How about that? I'll talk to myself. He lifted up my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. What does that mean? That means I look to heaven and I realize that God was behind everything in my kingdom. And notice what this pagan man did. Now, he's not even a Jew. He's not even a God, a, 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 what we would call a, a religious person. But he said, I blessed the Most High. I praised and honored Him. This is all missing beforehand. I, I praised Him for His dominion is an everlasting dominion. And, and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will. Among all the people of the earth, no one can stop his hand or question what he does. It's just the opposite. Now he recognized that God is the one that's behind every good thing in his life. Come on. He, he repented of his pride, and the cool thing is, verse 36, his reason returned. He's established again as the king, and more greatness is added to him. Now listen, God may discipline us or, or humble us when we're proud, but how many know when we repent and we start acknowledging God again, depending on Him, come on, that's what the, the finger in the air, you know, when the Tim Tebow's, you know, or when, when they dunk in the basketball court or when they make the touchdown. It's an acknowledgement of God, and when we do that, God delights to bless us. He delights to honor us, but here's what we need to know, Proverbs 18, proud people will be ruined. And humble people will be honored. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 23. Jesus said that whoever exalts himself will be 
You exalt yourself, you're going to come down. And if you humble yourself, God will lift this up. How many want to be humble so God's blessing will be on our life? I give him a big hand today. That's the life that I want to live. Let's go to Luke 18, and, and, and let me share with you about how we as religious people can be proud. How many have been a Christian over 10 years? Let me see your hand. Wow. Over 20? 25? 30? 35? 40? Gosh, you're getting old. 45? 50? Don't be ashamed. Come on, give them a big hand. I've been a Christian over 50 years. My wife was saved in the womb. Praise the Lord, honey. There's something that can happen. Luke 18, Jesus told the story. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other despised tax collector. Now, a Pharisee was one of the sect. It's like a denomination of the Jews. And they were the ones that were responsible for what's called the silent years between Malachi and Matthew, three, four hundred years long period when God is on the outside doing nothing, kind of like sometimes we see that in America today. But how many know God's always at work behind the scenes? But yet when Jesus and John the Baptist came on the scene, the temple was functioning, everything in the Jewish religious life was at work. Well, that was because the Pharisees had preserved the Scripture. They had preserved the ordinances. But the problem is uh, some of the religious people had become proud. Now, a, a, tax, a despised tax collector, uh, we might say a drug dealer that sold drugs to kids, uh, a prostitute. Uh, someone recently stole from one of our charities in town a large sum of money. A group of people were investigated. Well, that's kind of like, boy, that's, that's bad. So if you can imagine a, a, a really bad, culturally bad person, and you've got this Pharisee, and they're both going to church to pray. The Pharisee, verse 11, stood by himself and prayed this prayer. One translation said he prayed to himself. And he said, I thank you, God, that I'm not a sinner like everybody else. I don't cheat. I don't sin. I don't commit adultery. Well, I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week. Now religious rules. I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance. And when he started praying, he didn't even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. He beat his chest in sorrow and said, God, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. Well, I'll tell you that this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. That's a big deal. This religious person with this great heritage did not walk away from the temple right with God. But this person that culture would say was vile did. Jesus said this. He said, for those who exalt themselves, who think more highly of themselves than they should, who are arrogant, prideful, braggadocious, these people, Jesus said, will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. So what does this mean? Uh, humility is not low self-esteem. Humility is proper self-esteem. It is rooted in the fact that my identity is not in who I am or what I do. My identity is in Christ. If my self-esteem is, re is related to my grades or my, my work product, 
See, that's why I'm schooled today. Why we want everybody to feel good about their grades. So there's no superstars in school. Everybody gets a trophy. We don't want there to be any losers. We're doing everything we can to make people feel good about themselves. But can I tell you, friend, at our core of who we are, we are all sinners. Come on. We are all people in need of grace. You know, even this issue that we were talking about earlier about the, 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 the sexual orientation. Um, this guy said, well, I don't commit adultery. Well, how many know whether it's uh, adultery or fornication or whether it's the, the, the practice of homosexuality, bestiality, just going down the list, pornography. How many know all these things are sins in the eyes of God? And my, my adultery may not be outward with a person, but Jesus said, if you, committed, if you look on a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. So how many know, I'd say pretty much everybody's in the guilty bin of life, but yet here's a religious person saying, I'm better than everybody else. Now, let's see if we can learn something here. Uh, obviously, James 4, 6, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. See, sin is a terrible thing. It sent Christ to the cross, but God rejoices when sinners repent. Let me give you a sign or two of religious pride. And I think this is one of the more pertinent parts of the message. A sign of religious pride is self-righteousness. Self-righteousness might look on other people. We could do it with this petition. Self-righteousness will look on other people and say, I'm better than you are. Self-righteousness will say, well, like this guy said, I'm not a sinner like everybody else. Self-righteousness compares ourselves and, oh, I'm more spiritual than you are. I read more of the Bible than you. Do, do, you, do you read in the church Bible God? Oh, yeah. Well, I don't just read two chapters a day. I, I, I read three. Well, I mean, no, three is way better than one or two, but to be proud about reading the Bible, it's self-righteous. And we can't even see it when we're doing it. We become blind to our faults. This guy had the audacity to say, I don't sin. But 1 John 1.10 says, if we claim we've not sinned, we're calling God and showing His Word has no place in our hearts. Now, this is kind of a tension in the Scripture because we're called to live a holy life. Be holy as I am holy. Without holiness, no man will see the Lord. But how many know the Bible says all our righteousness is as filthy rags? You see, I can't do enough righteous works to be saved. And this is the last indicator of this religious pride, strict obedience to Scripture. Remember when he said he fasted, he gave tithe, and it was as if that made me righteous. Well, how many know I can't do enough good acts to be righteous in the eyes of a holy God? How many know all my righteousness is as filthy rags, and I need the grace of God to cover my sins? But the starting place is to realize, like that, uh, like that tax collector, God, forgive me for what I've done wrong. And I don't care what you did last night or if you're the preacher on Sunday morning in a suit. Let me know we all have that sin nature in our hearts. And if it's not our actions, it's our thoughts that displease the Lord. And religious pride will always get us in trouble with God. Come on. Because God is looking for the humble. Listen, I don't ever want to lose the fact that that tax collector, <laughs> that's the guy that I want to be. Not in his sinfulness, but in his recognition that I'm a man in need of the grace of God. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. Let's wrap up with this. James 4.10. Well, now the question is, well, how do we humble ourselves? We kind of, we've seen it in other people. We can see it in Gordon Gecko. You know, maybe we see a little bit. But how do I humble myself? 
Because James 4.10, the scripture says, humble yourself before the Lord. Which means it's a declarative statement. It's possible that I can do this. But humility is not a feeling. I suggest to you humility is our behavior and it's our actions. Let me give you what I think are three real tangible ways. Number one is I want to recognize any form of pride and repent. This is big. More than likely, the Holy Spirit has put his finger on something in your life. I know he has in mind. I've preached it three times. I'm about repented out. But whenever you feel a little bit, maybe you're stopped at a stoplight and, and, and the car in front of you is an old car and you're in a brand new one. And this little feeling rises up. I'm better than them. Repent from that. That's sin. You know, maybe, maybe you, you compare yourself to other people and, and you have more Facebook likes than they do. So people like me more, so I'm better than other people. Repent. See, whenever we exalt ourselves beyond our position. Now, let me, if I can paint a balance of this. This is not saying we don't want to have a, a healthy sense of self. And it doesn't mean that when we accomplish things that are good, that we can't take gratitude and thanks for that and recognize it. It, can't, it doesn't mean that we can't feel good about what we're doing and successful at. Let me illustrate it this way. Um, there was a friend of mine, actually he was a mentor of mine, his name was Judson Cornwall that I knew when I was in my early 20s and he was in our church for several days, he'd written all these books and he was just this spiritual giant that I looked up to and he was at his table and he was signing books and you know people were you know praising him and he was saying thank you and I just thought well you know maybe taking this a little too far and we talked about it in the car and he said let me tell you what I do he said when I get home tonight after you drop me off, I'm going to go by my bed and I'm going to get on my knees and I'm going to try to think of every compliment that I received today. And I'm going to make a bouquet of flowers out of those compliments and I'm going to give them to the Lord. You see, we can excel in life. We can be smart. We can be rich. We can be powerful, but still recognize that God is the source of it all. We can enjoy the good things of life. We can say thank you to someone when we've done well, but still recognize the one that's behind it all. And that's biblical humility. And a starting place when I recognize pride is to instantly repent of it. Now here's another one, and if you don't hear anything else in the message, take this home with you. It's the scripture in Acts 17, 28, that I want to be able to say every day where my ears can hear it in prayer to God. It's this scripture it says, in Christ we live and move and have our being, or we exist. In Christ I live and I move and have my being. Everything I have, everything I am, everything I'll ever do, come on, is because of Jesus. And if we will make that a part of our every day, let my ears hear it and let the Lord hear it. When I bow my head or get down on my knee, I want to tell you, friends, that has power to change your outlook and if we would put the cherry on the cake with Matthew 20, imitate Jesus, because Jesus said, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And just as the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Before Jesus, before, before I came up to preach, I got this little knot in my shoulder. My wife was rubbing my shoulder. Before Jesus went to the cross, he took a towel out and he washed his disciples' feet. 
Because when you serve other people, particularly for those that are in some way less than you, it kills your pride. Come on. And humility comes forth and will guard our heart for the rest of our days from letting pride destroy us. Come on, give him a big hand. He's worthy, worthy of our praise. Why don't you stand to your feet this morning? Hey, I am sure honored that you're here today. I hope the Lord has spoken to you. I hope you that are from Arkansas will get one of those petitions. I hope sign it today. I hope all of you will get one of those deals from the Texarkana Gazette. Write a letter to the editor. But before you think about lunch or turn off or anything, could we take just a moment and say, Lord, what are you saying to me this morning? We've just spent an hour and a half together. But what is the Lord? What are we going to walk away with? What is the Holy Spirit saying? Would you just bow your head just a moment? Because I don't know about you, but I know what I want to say to the Lord. I want to say, God, I want to be a humble person. I want to tell the Lord right now that I want to be humble. And I want to say right now out loud, Lord, I want you to forgive me for my pride. I want you to forgive me for any way I have, I have acted or behaved or thought in an arrogant, independent fashion. Because that's wrong. I want to say out loud today, Lord, that in you I live and move and have my being. That every good thing I have and every, everything that I'll become, Lord, is because of you. Lord, I want to serve people, not just people who are my friends that are like me, but people who don't have what I have and who don't know what I know and who need the Savior that I, that I know. Help me, Holy Spirit. You're a good, good God. Come on, let's just take a moment like that tax collector and say, thank you, Lord, for having mercy on me. God. I'm a Christian not because I'm better than anybody else, but because you reached out to me and touched me. You put oxygen in my air, Lord. You gave me life and health today. I hopped out of bed this morning. I had something to eat. I choose to put on my feet in a car to get me to church or, or somebody gave me a ride. You're a good, good father. You're a good, good father. I've got people that love me. I have hope for tomorrow. You're a good, good father. We're going to close with that song one time and then dismiss, but I want to make a place for prayer before we go. Normally we do this in the middle of our service as well, but we had communion today. But I want to encourage you, if there's anything in your life you need God's help with, we'd like to pray for you. If there's any burden that you have, if there was any, 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 any pressures you're going to face back in the world, come let us pray for you. Most importantly, if there's something in this message that you felt God really underscored and you need to seal that with God, do it in a confidential prayer with someone. Most importantly, though, the prayer we'd like to pray with you today is to make a commitment of your life to Christ. Maybe you're here today and when we received communion, you, you felt kind of warm and nice and, you know, I used to do that as a kid. I was the most religious on communion Sunday in my little Methodist church. And my vow to God is I would be nice to my sister. And it would usually last anywhere from three minutes to 30 minutes, and then I was right back to where I was. You can't be nice enough to sis to go to heaven. I mean, no, you got to commit your life to Christ. you got to receive Him as your Savior. you got to willingly let Him be on the throne of your life. See, we can be acquainted with God, and it's like God's in the backseat of our car, or He's sitting next to us, as it were, but until we give Him the keys to our life, we're never 
truly born again. And maybe that's where you are today. Maybe you say, Pastor, that's what I need. I need to give my life to Christ. I want the fresh start that Christ can bring. If that's you, we'd be honored to pray with you. We can't save you. I mean, no, that's what God does. But we can point you to the one who can. If you'd like to commit your life to Christ when they start singing, I want to encourage you to just slip over to this cross on your right. Somebody will meet you there. They'll pray with you. They'll give you some things that will help you on your Christian journey. But they're going to begin to sing. Our prayer team is coming to the front right now. And if you want prayer, just slip right on up here with them. Come on up, prayer team, and just fill this altar right now. And if you want prayer for anything, just slip out of your chair as we start to sing. Most importantly, if you want to commit your life to Christ, don't let it slip away. Come to the cross. We love you. We're glad you came today. God bless you. They're going to remain around front. They'll be happy to pray with you for whatever's going on in your life. But if not, hey, you're dismissed. And we look forward to seeing you next week. God bless you. Hope you have a great week. You are perfect.